0: Welcome to Searchlight, a survey through Scripture with Pastor John Corson. It is our desire to bring you a systematic study of the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. We have just finished our verse-by-verse study through the book of Joshua, but we are not yet done with this book. Before we move on, Pastor John wants to quickly take us through the entire book of Joshua, but from a little bit different perspective. For you see, the book of Joshua is a grand picture of prophecy. This is an exciting and enlightening picture that will help us focus on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's now join Pastor John and begin looking at this intriguing and encouraging picture of prophecy.
1: Book of Joshua chapter 1. Let there be no question about it. Jesus Christ is coming back. That is an absolute, non-negotiable, solid fact. The Bible speaks of the return of Jesus Christ clearly and constantly. In fact... Many of you know that almost a third of the Bible is Bible prophecy or deals with prophetic themes or prophetic issues. And so, when people sometimes say to you or say to me, Well, I'm just not into Bible prophecy because it's too complicated or too controversial. We have to say, well, if you're into the Bible, of necessity, you've got to be a student of Bible prophecy. Because one-third of the Bible deals with prophetic themes and issues. And of course, the coming back of Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom on earth is one of the grandest prophetic themes of all. On a Wednesday night, Tammy McBeal took her daughter to Dairy Queen on the way home from church. It was a special evening for her daughter, four years of age, opened up her little heart to receive Jesus, became a a Christian. And so Tammy stopped off at the Dairy Queen and bought her a treat and all the rest, and and was just talking with her daughter and said, So, you want to go to heaven and see Jesus? And her daughter said, Yep, but could I finish my dilly bar first? (laughs) I think that's the kind of expectancy that the Lord wants me and you to live in as it relates to His coming back for us, personally. That we ought to be those that say, Man, I'm looking for the Lord. And it could be before I finish my dilly bar. It could be right now. It could be this evening. I believe that it's so important for you and me as believers to be living in that constant anticipation and expectancy of the moment when the Lord says to you and me, come up, and he takes us up in the air, and we live with him in heaven for seven years while the world goes through a period of time called the tribulation. And then after seven years, when he comes back to the earth in what is called the second coming, and as Jude declares, behold, he comes with ten thousands of his saints, we come too. And he establishes his kingdom where we are going to rule and reign with him on behalf of him for a thousand years. A period of time referred to commonly as the millennium. And I'll tell you this... It is such a key in navigating life, the Christian life, successfully. That is, looking for and longing for the coming of our Lord. The Apostle John said, whoever has this hope, talking about his appearing, purifies himself, even as he himself is pure. There's a purifying effect when we are looking for the coming of the Lord that is not so much there when we're not focused on his, at any moment, coming for you and me. Not only is it purifying to look for his coming, but there's a peace that settles into my soul. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And a person who is really looking for the Lord and living in that light that, hey, it could be today, it could be tonight, there will be a purity and there will be a peace That will be produced in their souls. And so often people lack peace or people lack purity, perhaps because they've lost that that little four year old type of expectancy. Hey, it could be before I finish my dilly bar. Could be today, you see. So the Bible focuses on prophecy to a great degree and talks a lot about prophetic themes in in prophecies, in principles, in precepts, but also in pictures. And there are a number of grand pictures that deal with prophecy that helps you and me to get a grasp on the way it's coming down, on what's going to happen. And one of the pictures that I have found to be Absolutely intriguing is the picture that is portrayed in the book of Joshua. Now we spent months going through the book of Joshua looking at it as a real good illustration, a helpful uh, book in talking to you and me about living in the Spirit-filled life. That's essential. That's true. But there's another dimension of the book of Joshua that I want to talk to you about tonight. And that is as it relates to end time themes. The coming of the kingdom. You see, you know this already. If you're jotting down notes, put this at the top of your page or what have you, that Joshua obviously is picturing and portraying Jesus. If you've been around here recently, you've got that down by now, I know because the name Joshua and the name Jesus are the same name. Yeshua Joshua is Hebrew. Jesus is the English pronunciation of the Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek, and so we have the Jesus idea. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, so we have Joshua or as the Hebrew would say Yeshua, you see. So Joshua and Jesus, kind of like my name is John, but if I was in Mexico, my name would be Juan. See, Same name, just different languages. So Joshua and Jesus. Joshua in this story is definitely a picture, an illustration, a type of Jesus Christ, you see. And in this unfolding of this story, we see Joshua leading the people in driving out, in dispelling the usurpers that were in the land of Canaan. There were usurpers that were there. That is, there were countries and nations that had taken up residency in the land that God had given to Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the descendants, had been in Egypt for 400 years. And these other nations began to proliferate, and they began to take over that region. They were usurpers in a very real sense. And Joshua is coming now back to the land to drive out the usurpers. Now, it's an illustration of, it parallels the situation that we're in today. You see, this world has been usurped by Satan. When people say, well, if God is so good, why is there war and famine, disease and rape, and all the problems that are on the planet today? Well, as you know, the reason is, is because, well, there's a usurper. Satan has been given control temporarily of this planet. That's why Jesus called him the prince of this world. That's why Paul declares that Satan is the god of this age. Satan is a usurper, though, because although he was given this planet by Adam and Eve when they sinned in the Garden of Eden and they were representing you and me, we would have done no better, guarantee. But when God gave to Adam and to Eve the title deed to the earth, Adam and Eve submitted to Satan there in the Garden of Eden, and so Satan now became the controller of the world. But Jesus came the first time and died on the cross and paid for the sins of all humanity, including Adam's rebellion back in the Garden of Eden. And consequently, now the sin has been paid for. Jesus purchased the world again. So what's been happening since the time of the cross? In reality, Satan has been usurping his Authority That is, Satan's been taking control of the planet. But listen, the title deed of the earth has been purchased by Jesus Christ, who died on the cross paying for the sin. And there's coming a day not too far away when Jesus is going to come back to the earth again to take control. See? And that's what the book of Joshua is depicting and showing. The Canaanites, the Hellions, the demons, Satan, right now they're having their way in this land that is on this planet. But there's coming a day not too far away when the Lord is going to come back. And the Lord is going to take control. And this book pictures that fact and shows that. Joshua is is dispelling the usurpers, sending them packing, if you would. (laughs) wiping them out just like Jesus one day not too far away is going to come back to this earth and we're going to come with him and he's going to take control you see now this dispelling of the usurpers if you would took Joshua seven years that's interesting Jot that down if you're a student and a note taker and what have you. We know that by comparing Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 14 with Joshua 14, 7 through 10. In Joshua 14, 7 through 10, you don't need to turn there unless you choose to, but in Joshua 14, 7 through 10, Caleb declares that he was 40 years of age when he went in to spy out the promised land, and now he is... 85, he says, and I'm as strong as I was way back when I was spying out the land when I was 40, you see. So, if he's 85 in Joshua 14, and that's when they've now conquered the land, and they're divvying up the property, you might remember the story, and Caleb says, I want the hill country. Remember that story? If he was 40, When he spied out the land, and he's 85 now, when the land has been finally conquered in Joshua 14, that means how many years have gone by? 45. 45. But in Deuteronomy chapter 2, it says that they wandered in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 2 verse 14, they wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. So that makes a seven-year differentiation if you're following the math. So, they wandered in the wilderness for 38 years, and that's how you get the difference then. So, in reality, we know that it took seven years in totality to conquer the land. You can check that out and work that out on your own if you wish to. Comparing Deuteronomy chapter 2, uh, verse 14 with Joshua fourteen seven through 10. 45 subtract 38 is what, gang? So he's 45 years have gone by from the time he was 40 to 85, 38 years in the wilderness, and you have a seven-year differentiation, which means it took seven years for them to conquer the land. Now, this is interesting, because that seven-year theme comes up in prophecy, doesn't it? The tribulation period, described in Revelations chapter 6 through Nineteen is how many years in totality? Seven. It's a seven-year period in which God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, dealing with the usurping of Satan and the rising of Antichrist, culminating in a final confrontation there in the valley of Megiddo, the battle of Armageddon. So we see this interesting parallel. It took seven years for Joshua to conquer the land and to clean it up, if you would. Just like it's going to take seven years after we are raptured, there's going to be seven years of tribulation on the earth to set the stage for the second coming of Christ, where he will then rule and reign in Jerusalem, and we will rule and reign right along with him grand day that's going to be. Now, the third thing I'd like you to note here, not just that their names are the same and the idea of driving out the usurpers and the timetable, it took seven years, but the third thing, if you're jotting things down in that order, is that in Joshua chapter 3 verse 10 you'll see there Joshua declares, hereby You shall know the living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations. Seven nations are going to be driven out. Seven nations of these usurping entities, these usurping people that are being dealt with. As, as the kingdom is being established in picture and type. The interesting thing is, if you compare that, seven nations, you see sort of a problem, in a sense, because in Genesis 15, when God is talking to Abraham about that land and about what's going to be, God mentions ten nations, these seven plus three more. I point that out because for you prophecy students, you know that that, well, it means something as it relates to what Antichrist is going to do. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 8, Antichrist, the usurper, Antichrist, this coming world figure that's going to bring the world into his spell and under his thumb in that period of time known as the tribulation. He rules over an empire of how many nations? Ten. Ten. But in Daniel chapter 7 verse 8, it says three of the nations are uprooted. And we've talked about this in prophecy studies in the past. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that issue tonight. But three of the nations of the ten... Remember the ten horns? Remember the imagery of Daniel 7? You're saying, no. Well, suffice it to say, there's ten nations, but three are uprooted. If you have ten and you take away three, what do you have? So again, you have ten nations in Genesis 15, but three have been uprooted by the time we come to this part of the story. Just exactly in picture and illustration of the way it's going to be according to Daniel chapter 7, you see. An interesting parallel. Daniel chapter 7 verse 8. So we see Joshua coming into the land. Just like Jesus is going to deal with this earth again. Seven years in totality to to take control. It will take seven years of the tribulation to set the stage for the establishing of his kingdom. Joshua. Jesus. Jesus. Paralleling in an amazing way the nations that they're going against ten nations mentioned in Genesis 15 becoming seven nations here in Joshua 3 just like is going to happen Antichrist is going to rule a ten-nation confederation of the old Roman Empire European nations evidently but it will be reduced by three just like our story shows us in this picture. Most interestingly, the Antichrist that's coming, this world leader, who, as I've said so many times before, will not be some kind of a slimy, squirmy, beady eyed, dark looking character, but he will be charismatic. He'll be likable as Ronald Reagan, as wise as an Abraham Lincoln, as sharp as a Thomas Jefferson as powerful oratorically as a Winston Churchill, as charismatic as a Kennedy. Now, there is the Antichrist picture in, Revel, uh, in Joshua here that is painted with uncanny accuracy. We see in Joshua chapter 10, this character appearing called Adonai Zedek, This is the picture of Antichrist. Adonai Zedek is the king of Jerusalem, we are told in Joshua chapter 10 verse 1. Adonai Zedek, what a name, it means literally the Lord of Righteousness. He's the Lord of Righteousness, and where does he rule from? Jerusalem, which is the city of peace. Jehovah is peace. Shalom, Salam, Jerusalem, the Lord of righteousness, the king of peace. The Antichrist is going to appear to be righteous and a man of peace. In fact, the book of Daniel says he, by peace or through peace, that's his methodology to bring about destruction, but he'll appear as a man of peace, but he's an Antichrist He's a false leader, but he is coming across as a righteous one. Now, Adonai Zedek, what an interesting name for for a pagan king, the Lord of righteousness. He's the picture of the Antichrist. Now, there was another guy who was king of Salem who was not a false entity. He appears way back in the story of Genesis in the days of Abraham. His name was not Adonai Zedek, but Melchizedek. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, we are told. Melchizedek, the book of Hebrews tells us, is in reality either an incredible picture of Jesus Christ, or as I believe personally, he is an incarnate appearance of Christ. That is, It is Christ appearing in the Old Testament. Melchizedek, be that as it may, Melchizedek is the real deal. If you're not aware of that, you can check out uh, Hebrews chapter 7 later on.
0: This is an interesting contrast between two Old Testament characters. We have a picture of the Antichrist and a picture of Christ. Pastor John will explain more about this on our next program. Please join us as we continue to see how Joshua speaks to us about the coming of our Lord. We'll see you then. This teaching is also available on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. You will also find on the website Pastor John's books and other Bible study resources. Again, the address of the website is johncorson.com. In addition to hearing good Bible teachings, it is also helpful to read of God's love, grace, mercy, and truth. For this reason, we have made available the John Corson Application Commentary Set. There are three volumes of these written commentaries, two covering the Old Testament and one covering the New Testament. The commentaries are based on John's teachings so they contain the same insightful and practical Bible studies you hear on the Searchlight radio program. If you would like to order any or all of these commentaries, you can do so through the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. Searchlight is a listener-supported ministry. We appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you.